You're listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we look at questions and topics that are related to our faith in Jesus and the way that it plays out in our everyday lives. This is a special episode. We've been in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and as we've gone through the series, what we've realized is that there are many questions and issues related to each of the commandments that don't actually make it into the sermons. So we wanted to take time on a podcast to address some of these. So this will be a two-part podcast. The first part we'll release today will be the first five commandments, and then in two weeks we will release a podcast with the second five commandments where we look at different topics and issues that are related specifically to those commandments and how they apply to our lives as followers of Jesus. So welcome in to Church Unplugged. Welcome into Church Unplugged. I'm Jimmy Cozy, part of the leadership team here at CCC. I've got with me today Joe Coffey, our lead pastor, and then Zach Wyrock and Todd Ionetta, uh, two other members of our leadership team. This is a special episode. We had mentioned during our Ten Commandments series that we would do some uh, Q and A or some episodes of the podcast following up because. We understand that when we cover a commandment in a sermon, we can cover only so much, but there are often questions that arise out of that. And so that's what we're going to do this episode. We're going to cover commandments one through five, which the sermons have happened. So the commandments are, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. Uh, You shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain keeping the Sabbath, and then honoring your parents. So we're going to be looking at questions that have arisen from those five five commandments. So we're going to start uh, the second commandment about not taking God's name in vain. So one of the questions that we have thrown around since we had a sermon on that passage, which Zach gave, by the way, uh, was, you know, how do I find God's will or sense his leading without taking the Lord's name in vain? So one of the things Zach said again and again was, don't speak for God. So how do we sense that without speaking for God and taking his name in vain in that way? Yeah, I mean, I think just to, I was asked this question a lot uh, by people after the sermon, and it's great. Uh, That's a great question to ask. I think the starting point for an answer is the difference between uh, revelation and making sense of what's been revealed. So let me just explain what I mean. When I'm saying in the sermon, don't speak for God, I'm echoing really what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1 when he says, in the old days, God spoke uh, through the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken, and you hear the verb tense there, right, past tense, he has spoken through Jesus Christ, his son, that God is done with new revelation. And it's not because God is disinterested or disconnected from the world. He's done because there's nothing left to say. Jesus has said everything we need to know about God, about the kingdom, and its advance. So when I say don't speak for God, we need to be really careful about saying things that God himself has not said. However, What God has said does need particular application. So Jesus will say about the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John that he will help you to remember all the things that that I've taught you. I think what Jesus has in mind there is, for example, in Matthew 28, when Jesus says to go into all the nations and make disciples, that is a general statement that, that needs particular application. So it very well could be that I'm going out for a jog in my neighborhood and the Holy Spirit is putting on my heart that these houses I'm running by, I've got to meet these people and I've got to share Jesus with them. And I may say, God told me I need to go meet my neighbors. And I don't mean that in the way that God told Moses to go to Egypt. What I'm really saying is that God has called me to participate in this thing called the Great Commission. And what what he's made clear to me is that the practical application of that in my own life is I need to meet my neighbors. So when you say, God told me to meet my neighbors, I would say, yeah, he already did that in Matthew 28. Yeah. But I have no problem with the Holy Spirit's prompting you 
in that direction. That is certainly what it means to live a spirit-filled life and to follow Jesus. Yeah, because all, all of us who have been pastors have had people come into our offices and say, uh, God told me that it's okay for me to be living with my girlfriend. Oh, no doubt. Right? Or, mm-hmm. God or he told hasn't me. told me it's not okay. Right, you know, right. That kind of thing. And yeah. So, yeah, I think that what you're saying is, is really good. And there, there's also a, a ton in the Bible about about praying for wisdom. Yeah. And you don't need wisdom if God just speaks directly all the time, yeah. right? So there's always this idea that we need wisdom to try to figure out exactly what God, but I think that's good. I think God does prompt us most of the time. Uh, for me, when I'm in prayer with God and writing something down and I feel prompted, but it's always in accordance with what his, his word says. Yeah, and I think that uh, my dad used to tell me growing up, you know, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will help you to remember all the things that I've taught you. And my dad used to say, you can't remember what you don't know. And, you know, that there's a relationship right. here between the prompting of the Spirit and the intake of Scripture. So I think if you committed yourself to daily spending time in the Scriptures, you would find God speaking to you more. Right. Because his word would be in your mind, it would be in your heart, and the Spirit would be making application all yeah. over the place in your life. So we're not saying that the Spirit isn't living and active and present in all of us, but in relationship with the Scriptures, not in addition to or in or in supplementation or supplementing those things. And that's that's the relationship between... Yeah, and I was going to say, too, just practically speaking, when you're thinking about, okay, how do you hear the voice of God? You know, I think there's there's two simple questions. Somebody comes up to me and says, I, I'm not hearing God. I don't know what he wants for my life. The two questions would be, are you in God's word, which is what Zach's saying, and are you putting yourself around God's people? Are you involved in the church? Because... It seems like outside of God's word, that is primarily the other way that God would speak to you is through his people who are in the word, which probably goes back to that already. Right. And the thing that Zach was talking about in his sermon, I think mostly, was when people come up with revelations for others. That's right. 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 You come up, and I've had people come up to me and they say, God told me this for you. Mm -hmm. And I want to go, hey, well, I'm going to wait until God, you know. Or they write a book about it. Right. Or they write a book about it. I mean, I have seen in the last 20 years over and over again someone having some kind of quote-unquote spiritual experience and then writing about it and people almost being more excited to take in that information right. than they right. are scripture. And even to be – to give it more weight than they would give scripture. So I think there's a danger in that. I think we have to – again, because – uh, it's not just about the legitimacy of that spiritual experience. It's also about the sufficiency of what God has said. Right. So what you're saying when you rush to buy that book is that God has not told me everything that I should know or I need to know. Right. So now we're actually having a conversation about the nature and character of God. It's not even about who hears his voice and how do you hear yeah. his voice. It's about, can I trust that God's told me everything I need to know? And that if God hasn't told me something, perhaps it's because I don't I don't need to know. It's not good for me to know. So And that goes back to the the original sin when Adam and Eve no were in doubt. the garden and <laughs> no you know and they had everything they could ever want. God had told them everything they And the serpent needed. speaks for God. Right. Right. I'll tell you why God doesn't want you to eat of that tree. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So a follow-up question would be how do we apply this concept to something like decision making. So often, you know, whether it's a career decision or relationship decision, we as followers of Jesus want God's mm-hmm. guidance on those decisions. Yeah, it's a great question. Let me give three quick tips to that. One is uh, start seeking God's will for that decision before the decision comes up. 
In other words, spend daily time with the Lord. Learn who he is. Learn his character. Learn what he wants for you, what he doesn't want for you. What you're going to find if you do that is a lot of decisions are pretty simple and they're pretty easy. It's pretty clear God would want that for me. He wouldn't want that for me, right? That's the first one. The time to start preparing for your next big decision is now, not when the decision manifests itself. Second, explore God's will in community right? Let other people speak into the situation because I think it's very easy for me, if I'm thinking about what God wants for me, only me, it's very easy for me to twist what God has said to fit that whatever God God wants, what I want. Yeah, I would say make, make uh, be careful about who is in yeah. your community, though, oh, no, right? No, because great. I hear that all the time. Or they'll, yeah. they'll ask people yeah. who are at work who are not Christians, and yeah. you're just going, what, well, what are you doing? Well, in a similar way, the time to build that community is now, right? Right. Because you're going to want to have trust. You're going to want to have seen their character. You're going to want to know that they love the Lord, that they want what the Lord wants for you. But when you have that, then just think about it as guardrails. You don't want to invite people to think for you, but you do want to invite them to expose the flaw in your thinking. And then I think third, recognize we're all sinners. So our thinking about decision-making is always there's a presence of sin. Seek out that sin. Confess that sin. It will cloud your judgment in ways you're not even aware of. But uh, I think if you do those things, if you begin that work now, the next major life decision that presents itself will not cripple you the way decisions have in the past. Yeah, I almost think of it like uh, if you were going to try to learn a new language because you needed to go and visit a, great analogy. a country where you can't speak the language, it would be much better to learn the language earlier rather than dropping yourself off. You know, in decision-making, in trying to understand what God has to say, the less scripture you know, the less of the language that you speak. And so it's going to be tougher to understand what he's saying or just leaves God less words to use with you if you aren't spending time in his word. That's really it limits good. limits it. Yeah. All right, uh, let's pivot to uh, one of the more challenging commandments, I think, for some could be the commandment to honor our father and mother. And there are two specific scenarios that uh, have been a question in regards to this commandment. The first would be, uh, what do we do with parents who are not good parents or even abusive parents? How do we apply that commandment to them? And then another question is, as our parents, so as our parents age, so as we age, our parents age, how do we honor aging parents. So maybe let's aim at at those one at a time. We'll start with the question about uh, poor or even abusive parents first, and then we'll go to the question about aging parents. I think this would uh, be a very difficult thing. Um, I have great parents, so it's uh, it's harder for me, but I've, I have talked to people who have had uh, difficult parents or abusive parents. And I think uh, and one of the things I tried to say in my sermon was that th there are ways to honor your parents without coming back under their control or about being uh, without being sucked into what is a destructive kind of relationship. I think you can be respectful. I think uh, you can uh, try to serve them in different ways, especially as they age, uh, without being pulled back in to uh, something that is not going to be healthy for you. Yeah, I think it's important to have a good theology of suffering. It, it's clear in Scripture that there are times God calls us into suffering. But I think we always need to be clear on why he would do that, right? It's one thing to suffer for the advance of the gospel. That's another thing to suffer through, you know, governmental or majority oppression because you're a Christian. It's another thing to think that God's will for your life is to relentlessly submit yourself to suffering at the hands of another person. So I, I think wisdom requires saying, hey, if I am being treated in a 
in an oppressive way, if I'm not healthy mentally and emotionally, I'm probably not going to be much help to my parents. So I need to make sure that I'm enacting those boundaries. I need to get counseling if that's what I need. I need to be healthy. And then from a position of health, make decisions about what it looks like to engage uh, my parents. Because the truth is, you know, parental uh, uh, oppression, abuse, uh, dis, you know, just unhealthy relationships with your parents have a particular effect on a person right. where even the way you think isn't necessarily clear, right? So what you think is actually loving to your parents, you've been taught for decades uh, that that's loving is not actually loving. And that's where I think counseling can be helpful, where another person can help you sort through, is that a reasonable expectation of your parents? Is that a healthy thing to do for your parents? So just encourage you to do that. I think to disentangle the faulty thinking that you've grown up with. Yeah, it's a, I would echo that thought. I think it's really important to do that. Uh, we meet with couples all the time where, you know, a lot of the things that they bring into their marriage that are unhealthy are coming from something that came from their upbringing. And so it's like, it's not only good to get the help you need for honoring your parents, but get the help you need for right now. You understand how to healthily relate to another person. Right, and for yeah. your kids and, you know. Yeah, and I'll just add to that if, because uh, just think about Joe, what you're saying, and then Todd, your reference to re-engage, which my wife and I just finished. And it's great, by the way. So if you haven't done re-engage, sign up, do it. You won't regret it. Um, but they ask a lot of questions about your parents' marriage and, and how that, and I think if you had good parents, like I had good parents, they had a good marriage, they modeled it well, thank them. Call them, text them, thank them. They put you so far ahead that you don't even realize it, right? You started yeah. so far ahead. And if you didn't have that, we mourn with you and, and want to come alongside you. But if you had that, make sure you say that. That is one of the greatest gifts you've been given, and it's an easy one to take for granted. Mm -hmm. A follow-up question to that would be, what about a situation where if I'm a follower of Jesus, but I have parents who do not have a relationship with Jesus, how do we honor those parents, especially with that sort of worldview conflict that would exist? How would you process through that question? Well, I would think that the first thing you do is you, uh, you, you love them in a way that, uh, that Jesus would love them through you, because I think that uh, that's a great opportunity. Uh, you, you can't, like, stay away from your parents because they're non-Christians. I would lean into that, and this is your time, especially as they age then you have a way, and I've seen that over and over again, that uh, children, as they grow up and who, have, who become followers of Jesus, and as, as their parents age, there's kind of a role reversal, and then you have an, the opportunity to maybe speak into your parents' lives in a way that you wouldn't uh, have ever had, uh, but I would make sure that you continue to love them uh, in a way that, that Jesus would have you love them. Yeah, two pieces of advice. Uh, one is play the long game. Right, I see this happen to a lot right. of people who become Christians, and then they feel like they have to get their family uh, saved in a week. Right? You you don't. Right, right, you don't right. play the long game. Right? Talk to them about Jesus when it makes sense. Don't do this where they're like, "Hey, beautiful weather," and you say, "Well, you know who made the weather? Jesus." <laughs> don't 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 do that. Don't do that. It's inorganic. It's inauthentic. It won't come off well. And not because they're your parents, just because they're people, and no one likes that. Play the long game. I think the second piece of advice I'd give is realize the kingdom is bigger than you. So there are other Christians God will put in the path of your family members. You're their only daughter, only son, only, right? So be that. Again, I'm not telling you, share Jesus with them when it makes sense. But also be careful not to uh, give up a position that you have in their life that no one else can fill, right? So be very careful at that and just pray that they will receive more witness to the gospel than just you, 
right? Uh, so I think a lot of times you put too much pressure on yourself and try to make it happen too quickly, and you end up being the cause of the rejection you're afraid of. And so just right. avoid that. And I think I think family relationships are sometimes the hardest ones to do ministry. Uh, you know, even sure. as a pa- as pastors, you know, yeah. for me. The, when I'm when I'm inter- interacting with a family member, it's like it's different. It's just more challenging. I don't know if that's why Jesus was rejected in his hometown. You know, it's like it's it's just challenging. So I just want to resonate with that. Like I know it's hard, but I think modeling what it looks like to follow Jesus is going to be everything. And I I think the long game's a great advice. All right, any so the other question that we we kind of addressed but have not yet fully is uh, as parents age. You know, and this is a scenario that not all of us are quite in yet, but um, how do we honor our parents as they age? And even Zach might have mentioned or Joe might have mentioned there's sort of a role reversal that begins to take place. How do we honor our parents under those circumstances? Yeah, let me jump into this first and just say that, like, Joe, I don't know if people know this, your mom and dad live with you. Yeah. And, uh, you, you know, I know we all, you know, hold Joe in high regard. He's the lead pastor of our church. We we appreciate and respect him. But one of the things just working for you that I appreciate is that's something that not a lot of people see or know. Uh, but you show a tremendous amount of care and concern for your dad, uh, for your mom. And so just want to let people know that, praise you for that, and just, you know, maybe you tell us how you process, you know, what you're currently going through. Yeah, it's been a it's it it's been a great honor in some ways. Uh, it, you know, watching your parents like my parents are are great people. My dad has been my hero, and to watch him age and uh, care for my mom has been great in one way. And it's a sad when you're with them all the time. It's kind of a long goodbye. You know, like uh, my brother's in town uh, from time to time, and he gets to spend some time with my parents. I get to see them. Uh, every day. They've been living with us for about 12 years. We built an in-law suite onto the house so that they could be there. Um, and it does uh, require uh, some care. And uh, as they get uh, older, it'll require uh, more and more like trips to the hospital with them or trips to the doctor. And um, it, it is a role reversal in that you guys are all caring for for children, in some ways, you have to do the same thing, and I think that's the way God designed it, that the children grow up, become parents, and then become parents for their parents. So that's what we're doing right now. <clears throat> All right. Uh, one final question um, off of these first five commandments is uh, related to the commandment to keep the Sabbath, and the question is, is, is working or doing anything non-religious wrong on the Sabbath? How do we as followers of Jesus in 2020, what does it mean for us to keep a Sabbath? Yeah, I think that was a, I don't think it's that you do anything non-religious. I think that's a, a bifurcation of the sacred and the secular that I don't think God intended. Uh, I think there is something about the Sabbath that was supposed to be refreshing and renewing. If you read about the Sabbath, uh, there was uh, like uh, the year of Jubilee was a year of celebration. The Sabbath was supposed to be a time when you uh, were with uh, friends and family and didn't and got away from the grind of work uh, back in uh, you know the what really was the Bronze Age when it when it started. So I think that uh, we need to be careful not to put a bunch of rules on it like the Pharisees did. Uh, instead, I was just at a at a with a group of pastors where one of the pastors, a very wise uh, man, 
said that he feels like uh, anything that brings you closer to God is something that you should be doing. And he said spending time with his grandchildren, uh, going fishing, uh, playing basketball, whatever it is, I think that's a that's a good thing to do on the Sabbath. Yeah, and I think uh, kind of two things here. One is the Sabbath is a way of life for Christians. So the writer of Hebrews says, you know, through Jesus, we have entered into a, a lasting Sabbath rest. And because what he's saying is we don't earn anything, right? Like we we don't have to perform, we don't. So there's a rest in Jesus that we ought to just enjoy all the time because whether I have a great day today or an awful day, God doesn't love me more. He can't love me less. It's been one for me in Jesus. So we ought to just be a restful people existentially, like intellectually, emotionally, we ought to be at rest because God loves us no matter what. But in terms of the the day or the rhythm, again, I think Joe's right. The idea here is, is that what the Sabbath is doing is not just in us, hey, we need to rest, we need to replenish. But for the watching world, it's saying to them, I don't have to work every minute because my ultimate hope is not in my effort. It's not in my hustle. It's not in my ability to grind. It's in the Lord. So shutting it down is actually a way of testifying to the fact that the Lord is faithful. I trust the Lord. He is my provider. And so that's the, I think that's the challenge. I don't even think like if yard work for you is cathartic, the fact that it's work doesn't make it a violation right. of the Sabbath. If you're working in if your If you're yard, a yard man. Yeah, yeah, right? that's right. Or I think if you're working in your yard because your neighbor, you want to be impressive to your neighbors, that would not be Sabbathing, right? Because what, what you're doing there is you're saying, I can't rest. Of course, if that I might rest, be wrong on Tuesday. Well, that's, yeah, that's absolutely <laughs> true. I can't rest because I need to be impressive, right? You don't have to be impressive. God is already impressed by you in Christ, right? So I think it's asking yourself, why would I do this? What is driving it? And if it's a non-restful reason, you ought to put it aside. If it's a restful reason, go for it. Whatever, whatever it might be, whatever form it might take. But then, then watching the Browns on Sunday would not be good for me. The first half is usually pretty <laughs> yeah, restful, and then the second half is, <laughs> is agony. Would be reversed. Maybe tape the first second half, half watch it on Monday. There you go. Right. There you go. <laughs> uh, I think that I think what you're getting at, Zach, too, is just that it's about your identity. Like if your identity is in Christ, I mean, if you if, if your identity is in your work, then it's not where it's supposed to be. And so work is important. We need to do it but we rest so that we remind ourselves our identity's not in it. And that's the thing we need to keep talking about more, that mm-hmm. uh, that the secret of the Christian life is a new identity, uh, not just that you're saved and going to heaven, but that you've been renewed. And that speaks into every aspect of our lives. You've been listening to Church Unplugged, the podcast of Christ Community Chapel. In each episode, we're going to look at topics and questions that are related to our faith in Jesus and to the way that it plays out in everyday life. We want your feedback. We want your suggestions. If you've got ideas or questions that you'd like to hear answered on the show, you can email us at churchunplugged at ccchapel.com. We would love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.